Hello there, it's five o'clock in Salford. Hope you're well. Are you well? You're well. You're warm, I bet you. I'm warm. It's uh, approaching 30 degrees here in the northwest of the UK. Richie Allen with you till seven o'clock this evening with three, not two, but three very interesting guests. Thank you as always for choosing the programme. Send your comments through. I will read them. I promise I will. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, the brilliant broadcaster, the brilliant writer and academic Kevin Barrett will be live on the programme this hour. Truthjihad.com. We'll get a bit of American news from Kev. He's a great guy. Looking forward to that. It's been a while. A little bit later on, Mad Mix has a new single out. So Mick and Martin Noakes from Mad Mix, two terrific guys. They'll join the programme for a chat. That's the second hour of the programme. Busy one. This Thursday, the 15th of June, 2023. Ah, yeah. I'll just uh, leave you do a bit of Irish dancing there. No weather for the Irish dancing, is it? Is it? The ashes start tomorrow. I can't wait. You know this. You know this. You know I'm a huge cricket fan. I'm huge. (laughs) In my own mind. I'm tall. I'm a big cricket fan, so I'll be watching the ashes tomorrow. I have cleared the decks for the weekend, dear listener. I had two very heavy weekends in a row. Both of them featuring my pal Paul Ripley. Both of them. He's a terrible influence, is Paul. A horrible influence on me. Because I'm an angel. But, um, no, this weekend will be cricket, cricket, cricket. I love cricket. Can't wait for it. Now, anyway. Oh, God, there's a news roundup to be done. Yeah, there is. Hurry up, I hear you. I hear you. This heat is getting annoying, though. I live in a 100-year-old house. It's getting annoying. Really annoying. Because these old houses, they keep the heat in. Which is fine in the winter. But it's not fine now. It's a pain in the arse. It's boiling. I know. How did you ever manage Spain? Do you know how? Aircon. You mentioned Aircon again, did you? I did. Let's talk briefly. Uh, thanks, Jean Anne, by the way. Thank you for sending me this. And just after you sent it, some other Irish scallywags sent it too. It's important. I want, it, want you to hear a bit of audio in a moment. I want you to hear a cackling witch, cackling with glee at the tyranny that is being visited, visited upon the leprechauns of Ireland, my people, the little people, the big people. So you know that the, there's a new criminal justice bill in Ireland, going through the Irish Parliament. It's gone through the Dáil. It's being debated in the Shannon, in the Senate, which doesn't matter a damn, really, because there's very little the Irish Senate, the upper chamber, can do about this bill. The bill wants to outlaw, wait for it, the communication of material or speech that might now, might, incite hatred against people with certain protected characteristics, like race, religion and gender, for example, right? Now, what that means is, inciting hatred means um, causing offence, causing somebody to be a little bit upset by your opinion or by something you say in Ireland. This is uh, punishable or will be punishable by up to five years in prison. If you say or publish something that might incite hatred, how do you incite hatred? Anyway, it gets worse. It means that it uh, it gets worse. It even makes it a crime punishable by two years jail time 
to prepare or even to possess material likely to incite hatred, likely to incite hatred. So there's me now, the journalist. If I was in Ireland producing the Richie Allen show, I might have in my possession, I don't know, something written by that absolute twerp Tommy Robinson, right? A goon if ever there was one. Now, I might have something on my computer because I plan later on to demolish the material published by the idiot Tommy Robinson. But by having it on my computer... I could end up uh, being charged and sentenced to prison. Okay, it might sound a bit, you know. But but that's how it is, right? This crazy new law in Ireland. Irish government says we need to protect minorities. Protect them from what? Uh, from hearing something maybe they don't like. You know, we were told when we were growing up, you hear something you don't like, ignore it. You don't like hearing that, do you? Not there, no? No? Well, I tell you what, ignore it. Or, or, or... Or sticks and stones will break my bones and names will never hurt me. But I, I told you about a cackling little witch. I, I never heard of this woman. She's a Green Party senator in Ireland called Pauline O'Reilly. God, she's uh, thrilled with the tyranny. Loves the bit of tyranny, just Pauline O'Reilly. When you think about it, all law, all legislation is about the restriction of freedom. That's exactly what we're doing here. Is we it's exactly what we're doing here. <laughs> We are restricting freedom. We're restricting freedom and we're delighted about it. We're delirious and excited. But we're doing it for the common good. For the common good. We're restricting your freedom to say that there are no such things as chicks with dicks. We're restricting your freedom for the greater good. You can't say that, that women don't have a penis. You will see throughout our constitution, yes, you have rights, but they are restricted for the common good. For the common good. Right. Everything needs to be balanced. And if your views on other people's identities go to make their lives unsafe... Imagine, how could your views on someone's identity make their lives unsafe? This is mental. It's like that crazy tranny person who I featured last week or the week before who says that they're trying to erase our existence. No, they're not. Love, they, they just don't believe you're a woman. And that's what she's referring to here. So expressing a view that that lunatic-looking bloke over there with the uh, five o'clock shadow and the massive bulge in his undercrackers isn't actually a woman. What Pauline O'Reilly is saying is, well, that we can't have that now. You can't have the freedom now to say that because that might make that might make the big tranny man feel a bit unsafe. Insecure. Insecure as well. <laughs> insecure over there, yeah. And cause them such deep discomfort, discomfort that they cannot live in peace. Imagine that. Imagine you're legislating for people's discomfort. We can't have, we're going to take away your freedom to say something. Why? Why exactly? Because it causes a bit of discomfort to the bloke over there in the dress. You're kidding me. No, they're not kidding you. Just listen to the start of this again. These people are sick, aren't they? Eh? When you think about it, all law, all legislation is about the restriction of freedom. That's exactly what we're doing here, is we are restricting freedom. She's a sick bastard, eh? Pauline O'Reilly, Green Party. Anyway, let's stay with Ireland for a bit. Climate activists, or nutters, as I call them, I'm doing that thing with my fingers, which everybody hates, making the inverted commas. I'm doing that. Nutters, climate activists, they've been slashing tyres. Not exclusively slashing tyres, but also deflating tyres of SUVs around Dublin. Do you know what SUV stands for, do you? Do you? It stands for Sports Utility Vehicle, or in Ireland, Vehicle. 
Irish police officers are incapable of saying vehicle. Do you ever notice that? If somebody is in plain clothes and they tell you, I'm not a police officer, I am not a member of the Garda Siakona, the way to catch them out is to say, okay then, if you're not, please say vehicle. They can't. They're, they're incapable of it. It's a genetic thing. The, the, the plain clothes person who's telling you they are not a guard, when in fact they are, will not be able to say vehicle. They'll say vehicle, and you'll know then that they're an undercover p- 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 police officer. Anywho, right, so people are going around slashing tyres or deflating them and then leaving notes on the windscreen, presumably telling people, we vandalised your SUV because you're killing the planet, right? <coughs> Fuckwits, right? So a woman called Sive O'Neill, Sive, she's a lecturer in climate and energy law, climate law, imagine, climate law, climate law, just think about it for a moment, where this is all heading. Now she's also a coordinator for Stop Climate Chaos, she's a nutter. She was on Irish Radio today, do, do go on YouTube and watch the Jasper Carrot sketch or the stand-up routine where Jasper Carrot, the legendary Brummy comedian, was he a Brummy, talks about meeting nutters. This woman is a nutcase, right? She was on Irish Radio today with a guy called Pat Kenny. And uh, they talk about this, you know, this idea that it's okay to vandalise people's cars in the name of saving the planet. Well, firstly, it's not necessarily tyre slashing. My understanding is that the tyres were deflated. And there's a big difference there because tyre slashing is potentially criminally, um, you know, uh, uh, illegal, if you like. Yeah, yeah, we know that, but it's both. It's both. Some of your pals have been slashing tyres. There's evidence of this, photographic evidence and video evidence. Some of them have been deflating, but some are slashing. And by the way, both is illegal. It's illegal to deflate somebody's uh, tyre, you know. And there's a good reason why it's illegal to do that, because they might need their car. You know, in an emergency, I don't know, baby all of a sudden starts convulsing all of a sudden. And there's no point ringing the ambulance in Ireland or in England because there'll be three or four hours before they get to you. So you might need to jump into the SUV and make a beeline for the rotunda hospital-like. So letting down somebody's tyres is also criminal, right? Like, whereas deflating a tyre is not. It's a very small um, inconvenience. No, it's not. It's illegal to deflate somebody's tyre. It's vandalism. In comparison... What a daft bitch this woman is. ...to the huge cost that SUVs are imposing on society. But I think we, we could easily get carried away by the word slashing, and that's not actually what happened in the case of the Churchtown um, SUVs. I think young people are deeply frustrated by inadequate action and a lot of hypocrisy around climate change, and they're witnessing their neighbours purchasing ever larger vehicles. Over 58% of all new car sales are now SUVs in Ireland. And even if many of them are actually electric vehicles, the size of these cars and the uh, extra weight that they bring to them are cancelling out the emissions benefits of the fact that they're EVs. So essentially it's very understandable that young people, I presume they're young people, are deeply frustrated with the lack of political action. Um, and we haven't seen very much direct action like this in an Irish context. So. Yeah, lunatics like her have terrorised Ireland's young and Britain's young and America's young. Terrorise them. They really believe it. This is why I feel sorry for many of the younger folks attending Just Stop Oil or Stop Climate Chaos because they have been terrorised. It's not funny what it is they've done to these kids. They have convinced them that climate apocalypse is only years away. And that must be pretty scary if you believe that. If you can just put yourself in their position for a moment and think about how it would feel if you genuinely believed that the end of the world was nigh. 
So they've terrorised kids. Now kids are running around deflating tyres and in some cases slashing tyres. And Jean-Anne tells me, because she's on top of this, that they have been leaving notes with um, messages like, for example, uh, it's not you, it's your car. That's lovely when you get out, you need to go to work and maybe you need to take the kids to school. You're stressed anyway. You're stressed up the wazoo with the cost of living crisis and everything else, and other engineered agenda, of course, and everything else that's going on, right? And you get a note from some little dickhead. Again, I shouldn't call them dickheads because they do believe it. It's not you. It's your car that's killing the planet. It's not you. Listen to this Sive woman. Stupid name, Sive. I'm proud of my Irish heritage, and I'm proud of the Irish language, but Sive, S-A-D-P-H, is a fucking ridiculous name. You know, I should not heard of a deed poll. It's nearly as bad as Tiggy Leg Bork, remember that? In one way, it's quite refreshing, because it puts it up to us to debate the issue. Uh, why are we allowing these cars to dominate our streets? What did she say there, that it's refreshing for the kids to be vandalising people's cars? I think she might have done. ...with a lack of political action. Um, and we haven't seen very much direct action like this in an Irish context. So in one way, it's quite refreshing because it puts it up to us to debate the issue. It's refreshing. Uh, why are we allowing these cars to dominate our streets and roads? We know that they are more dangerous to pedestrians and cyclists. Uh, they're, they're contributing to more emissions, even electric vehicles. Uh, and we should be regulating them out of existence. But instead, they're actually taking up more and more of all new registrations every year. Regulating them out of existence. Does Pat Kenny, the gormless, gelatinous goon of a presenter, have anything to say to this? Mm. Um, you, mm, he says. you say it's refreshing. Uh, the people who came out to find that they could not get to work. I mean, if you've got a spare wheel, and not all the vehicles now carry spare wheels, um, if you've got a spare wheel and one tyre is deflated, that's fine, it's an inconvenience, it'll take you maybe 20 minutes or if you know how to do it, maybe slightly more quickly than that. If you've got two deflated, um, you're bunched. Bunched? I, I can't, I, yeah, absolutely. It's it's certainly inconvenient. And from a strategic point of view... Yeah, but who's you, right? Who is the right yeah. to inconvenience people they don't even know? They know nothing about them. They don't know whether, you know, there's a woman or a man, but more likely a woman who's got to get two buggies into the back of a car or whatever it might be, two babies and car seats and all the rest of it. Um they know nothing about the private life. They know nothing about what's going on in that household or behind that wheel. And yet they take it upon themselves to arbitrarily penalise people for, you know, for the climate. Everything is forgiven in the name of the climate. Yeah. Crazy climate change lady. What do you say? Well, certainly it, it seems quite arbitrary, but it's worth remembering that Churchtown, to the best of my knowledge, is connected to the Lewis and it has uh, an excellent standard cycleway now connecting it to the city centre. So The Lewis is a tramway in Dublin, right? So she's saying where this has been going on, Churchtown, you've got good public transport and you've got good bicycle lanes, therefore you don't need a car. In comparison to many other parts of the city, it's very well connected by public transport. And, you <laughs> no, know, come on, so I'm not, sorry, I'm not, sorry. I'm not hang on a second. Not, no, 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 no. Just let me finish my the, point. The Lewis goes, the Lewis is a straight line. It goes in one direction towards town. It goes in the other direction towards Cherrywood. If you want to go somewhere else from Churchtown, you don't have the Lewis. So, d- well, d- you know, no point in being in facile about it. Cluttering, cluttering our streets with more cars and more SUVs for the sake of our convenience. So the issue here is that all of these issues are kind of collective action problems. Collective action problems, right? There's no room for individualism 
in the society these lunatics want to create. Listen. Where there's individual benefit to purchasing a car and driving it around the place. But this society- There is individual benefit from purchasing a car and driving it around the place. I happen to have a car and I love it. I love the fact that of a weekend I can throw the dogs into the back. I can throw the future Mrs. Allen into the front and off we go uh, and head for Tatton Park in Cheshire or head down to Chester Zoo to look at the giraffes. I look down on the giraffes, right? It's lovely to get into the car and have that little bit of freedom, but no. societal impact is never factored into it. And we as a society have to confront this issue as a collective because individually it will always be in our interest to drive that car and take it from right. A to B door, yeah, but... door to door. But the societal impact, the environmental impact is never factored into it. Yeah, we've got to factor in the societal, environmental and climate change impact. So, so the individual likes to have a car to go and do the shopping on Saturday morning and come back with it and unpack it and then throw the animals and the missus into the car and all the rest of it. But that has a negative impact on society. Communism, communitarianism, communism, these people are insane. She knows better, I reckon, that lunatic save, probably. I don't reckon she believes it. Maybe I'm wrong, but the kiddies believe it. God, uh, the kiddies do believe it. They're telling them in primary schools that climate catastrophe is imminent. And you know how impressionable the minds of youngsters are when they're that age. You know, when they're six, seven, eight, nine. When they're not really in touch with their critical thinking faculties. They're just sponges. They believe everything. Mmm, sive the mad woman on News Talk. Let me read some messages now. Maria from Surrey, good evening. Richie, looking forward to the show. Got a message from my GP surgery today. It's hot, so please drink enough water and avoid the sun. Text message, unbelievable. I received a similar message from a surgery in Salford, the one I am registered with. Believe it or not, Maria, I had the same effing message. It's hot today, so please drink enough water and avoid the sun. Nanny states, says Maria. This is the same GP who called me 11 months after a diagnosis I had in 2021 to ask whether they could help. (laughs) 11 months. Can we help you? 11 months after diagnosing you. Unbelievable. Hi to Mark from Warrington. Hi to Mike. Hi to Graham. Hi, Graham. Who says, you've got to, Richie says, you've got to pick Kev up on his mandatory dress code. Bull spits, says Graham. I don't know what you're talking about, Graham. Uh, Get back in touch with me again. Hi to Chris. Thank you, Chris. He says, the term echo chamber does tend to feature more prominently. Whilst you may argue that the Richie Allen show does not fall into this category, I would suggest that it is. There is no difference between the mainstream or alternative echo. Merely the frequency, says Chris. Repetitious ground trodden, says Chris. Chris, you obviously don't listen to the Richie Allen show. Or you're you're a recent convert to it. I have been warning my listeners for years about about that very fact. I have been talking about that very reality that the Richie Allen show, for many, is an echo chamber. Many people come to this parish at five o'clock, Monday to Thursday, to hear what they believe. They want it repeated back to them. Uh, So you're a little bit late to the party, Chris. Um, There's very little I can do about that. You know, I attempt day in, day out to get people on this programme who have a different point of view, mainstream people, who believe in the climate change, who believe in the jabs, but they won't come on. What would you have me do, Chris? So I wouldn't argue that the Richie Allen Show doesn't fall into this category, cloth ears. If you've been listening to me, you will have heard me speak about it, Chris. 
sorry for calling you class ears, but you must have heard me speak about this. Christ, I get criticised for banging on about it. Alexandra says, Richie, they are coming up with excuses for offences if they are perpetrated in order to fight climate change. It's mental, she says. Hi to Azza, who says, Richie, can I send you my latest single? You can. But don't, people say, I want to send you singles, Richie. And then I don't play it and they get fed up. (laughs) Not because I don't want to play these things, I just forget. Um, I'm not a music show today or Monday or Tuesday uh, or Wednesday, but thank you. Hi to Sean, who says, uh, Daft Bint, referring to Sive, the Irish climate change woman. What about those who might be disabled or elderly, etc.? Referring to the slashing of the tyres or leaving the air out of the tyres. Again, very good. Thank you. Uh, keep those messages coming in. There is an app for the programme. Please use it if you can, if you have a smartphone, which many of us do. But also send the messages to richieallen.co.uk. Lovely. Uh, have I got any messages on the website today? I think I've got to reboot it to see the messages coming in there. 21 minutes it is past the hour. Let's talk about something else for a moment then. Um Former Detective Chief Superintendent, a guy called Kevin Hurley, believes that the UK police need to be armed. Now, they are armed somewhat. They have tasers, don't they? Or they carry tasers these days. They might carry pepper spray. They might, they might not. This is, of course, in relation to the attack in Nottingham a couple of days ago that saw three people murdered by a, by, by a man. We don't know who that man is yet. A man is in custody, but whether he did it or not remains to be determined. Apparently, he hasn't been speaking to police who have been granted more time to question him. There was a vigil yesterday. Apparently, there will be a vigil today. Two of the victims were students at Nottingham University, and a detective chief superintendent told GB News that, um, well, we need to arm the police. Have a listen to this. The point I would make, and it is a bit of learning that we still have not woken up to, when we get either these, um, we get these marauding attackers, whatever their reason, whether it's mental illness or terroristic based, is just how vulnerable we in society are to the current way in which our police are configured. And I mean by that, it's by luck really um, that unarmed police officers were able to stop this guy uh, and deal with him because if this had happened in any of our other parts of the country, it would have been the same result, whether it was Weybridge in Surrey or Guildford High Street or Bristol Town Centre. The first officer, officers to be called to these kind of situations are always unarmed and generally unable to deal with it. The learning from this kind of situation, marauding drivers, marauding knife people, is obvious when you look at what happens on the continent. If we look at the Nice lorry driver who killed 80-odd people. Normal patrolling police on bicycles use handguns, pistols, to stop him. If you look at the various attackers that occur, even at the Battleland siege, the initial uh, massacre was slowed down by one officer with a handgun. Because we still persist with this idea of Dixon of Dot Green keeping our officers unarmed, and we are, in fact, one of only three countries in the world where police are unarmed, Iceland and Norway being the other two, we, the public, are left at great risk the next time either a madman or a marauding terrorist or a combination of both sets about doing this. Yeah, I was never comfortable when living in Spain, coming across the Guardia Civil or the Policia Nacional or the Policia Local, 
mo- I mean, they were most of them were pretty nice people, but I never liked guns. I have no interest in guns. I know that some of my state side listeners are bemused by this, but you understand me, right? I grew up in Ireland, obviously in Waterford. The police had uh, a billy club or a truncheon, and that was it. They looked like police officers back then too. They had a navy uniform with a shirt and a tie. Now the police look like assault soldiers. They look like SAS recruits now, I think, don't they? Not just in Ireland, but also here in the UK. I don't like guns. I really don't. And I wouldn't like to see the police here in the UK walking around the average Bobby, even though there isn't such thing as a Bobby anymore. There is no such thing, I should say, as a Bobby. Policemen on the beat, police women on the beat, doesn't happen. Live in Salford, have never come across in three years a pair of police officers dressed like police officers strolling around the neighbourhood. Doesn't happen. In fact, I never saw them in Fallowfield in South Manchester either. It doesn't happen, does it? It doesn't happen. The British Army is considering making... Look, I'm not going to talk about Boris Johnson and Partygate because it frustrates me. So the parliamentary committee which looked into whether Johnson misled the Commons over lockdown gatherings at number 10, they unsurprisingly found that he did mislead Parliament and if he was a sitting MP, because he resigned in advance of this coming out, didn't he? If he was a sitting MP today, he would have received a 90-day suspension. He's gone all Trumpian, Johnston, and says it's a big witch hunt by the enemies of Brexit and all of that bollocks. Uh, of course it isn't. It doesn't matter, really. It's distraction. It's theatre to keep people engaged in it, to keep people focused on it, to keep people lending their attention to this nonsense while more important things are going on like the Great Reset and Agenda 2030. However, the thing that annoys me, more than anything, today anyway, is how idiots, I'm not going to play any audio, don't panic, idiots like James O'Brien on LBC and others, you know, talking to people who weren't able to go to, to a funeral and I didn't see my my most dear niece get married and uh, we did the right thing and he was partying the bastard in Downing Street this really pisses me off right they cannot make the leap make the fucking leap why do you think they were partying like it was 1999 could it be that coronavirus 19 the, 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 the claim that it was a deadly pandemic was a load of old bollocks maybe Just maybe. And they knew it was bollocks. So they were collapsing the economy. Destroying people's lives. Fucking up the minds of children. When they knew better. When they knew that COVID was nothing to worry about really. Why can people not make that leap? It was a load of old... Bollocks. Yeah, yeah. It was... Bollocks. Bollocks. But they can't. This is selfish individualism. This is narcissism. I did the right thing and I didn't do this. And I was fined 70 pounds for going for a walk. And they were partying. Yeah, make the leap, numbnuts. Make the leap. They knew that COVID was a nonsense. That it was a mild respiratory infection. Unlikely to harm the great majority of people in the country. They knew. They knew. They knew. Why can't you make that leap? And it gets even more bizarre the COVID-bereaved are asking for an apology for Boris Johnson. The What are they called again, these numbnuts? And I don't feel sorry for them. I really don't. 
because their bereaved or their loved ones who died probably didn't die of COVID. This is the irony. The COVID bereaved victims for justice families of, I don't know, it's a ridiculously long title. They've given themselves the COVID bereaved. The COVID-19 bereaved families for justice UK. What a bunch of tossers. I'm sorry, that sounds hard, that. And I'm actually not by nature a hard person. I'm a softy. I've got time for most people. But you can stick your COVID-19 bereaved families for justice UK up your arse. You know, up your arse. Go and look at the death certificate again. You know, I bet you Auntie Doris was actually fucking 22 stone in weight. She'd smoked 80 fags a day for 35 years, right? She was hooked up to a fucking oxygen machine. And you believe it when they put COVID-19 on the death cert. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. Wake up to it. I'm not really that mean. By the way, the time is 29 minutes past the hour of 5 o'clock. It is Thursday's Richie Allen Show, June 15th, 2023. Let's have some music from the Bride of Satan herself. The woman who loves a bit of occult symbology in her videos. God love her. It's Madge and Ray of Light. Music from Madonna, that's Ray of Light on the Richie Allen Show, Thursday's edition. It is exactly 28 minutes to the top of the hour. My guest this hour has been coming on radio programmes with me for about 12 years, I reckon. He's a broadcaster, an author, a gifted academic. Check out truthjihad.com. Check out kevinbarrett.substack.com to read him there. It's a great pleasure to welcome back live from Wisconsin, our pal Kevin Barrett. Kevin, welcome back. We should have Kevin, but I can't hear him. Are we there, Kevin? Tell you what I'll do now. I'll make a little bit of I'll make a little bit of an adjustment there. And see can we get him back on. I think the Ah uh, yeah 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 yeah. Hang on, hang on. I know what happened there. It's one of those things. It's one of those things. Let's get him back on. I put the wrong fader up, I think, because I'm a bit of an idiot. These things happen, you see, when you're 48, approaching 49. Kevin, I'm sorry about that. I'm a bit of an idiot, as we say in the old country. How are you? I'm well, Richie. Can you hear me now? Loud and clear. It was my fault. It was my oh, fault. Sorry it's... about that. I was, I was playing with wires and plugging no, no, and stuff you d- like that. <laughs> you did nothing wrong, Kev. I, I lifted the wrong fader. Imagine being in broadcasting as long as you and me and you lift the wrong fader. You are welcome back to this parish, my friend. I want to ask you a serious question straight off the bat. Um, Chris has been in touch with the programme um, and he's, he's raised an interesting point about echo chambers. And he says... In his second message to me, he says, I've listened to your show for years, he says, and enjoy, and I'm sure he listens to to many other shows in the independent media. He says, interpretation of echo chamber perhaps differs from perspective. Once being aware of the obvious inversion of our script-driven movie, it sometimes becomes comfortable to tread water in that spot. The repetition of frustration is not healthy when there is a much bigger picture. Now, you have legions of readers and you have legions of listeners around the world and you have had for many years. Do you sometimes worry, Kevin, that your show and your Substack account and even shows like this one, that they become a kind of a safety valve or a safe place for people to come, to gather, 
to get away from the tyranny or just to be reassured that they're not going mad and that in that reality then people are maybe less likely to actually take steps to fight back against the tyranny. Is that something we need to be concerned about? Echo chambers in the independent media. What say you? Well, Richie, if what we're doing is running a safe space for sane people, I guess that there are worse things we could be doing. As far as whether that would be leading people to be inactive, I don't think so. Uh, it seems that all of the censorship suggests that the, uh, the other side really worries about what we're doing and doesn't think that it's actually stopping people from taking action. Uh, and I, I don't think it does either. If you ask why are people not taking action as much as they should be, I don't think the first answer is that, oh, they're they're just uh, pacified and tranquilized because they listen to Kevin Barrett and Richie Allen. Uh, I hope not anyway, but I, I don't think so. But I, I do think it's true that maybe we sort of do too much venting and not enough strategic thinking and that what strategic thinking that goes on on our side isn't good enough. That might be true. Fair enough. Fair enough. I do worry about it, though. I do worry about the the possibility that what we do is well what well, I'd speak for myself anyway and th there's no fishing for compliments here at all but that it I'll tell you why I say this because quite a considerable um oh god a lot of the correspondence I receive Kevin are from people saying thanks for everything you kept me sane during the pandemic and you keep me sane now and that's nice that on when you look at it from one perspective, but from another perspective, it's like well, and maybe I'm being a bit um, precious, maybe, but that when you feature doctors and nurses and and academics who are giving you a different perspective and kind of explaining that we are going down a very dystopian road, I kind of hope that you might take that information and do something with it. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely, but it's not always clear precisely what kind of action would help. Um, you know, this past week, we lost two American geniuses, uh, n namely uh, Cormac McCarthy and Ted Kaczynski. And of the two of them, uh, Kaczynski was the one who really took action. He decided he just wasn't going to take it anymore, and he started sending bombs to people that he saw as identified with the kind of uh, te technological evil that was reducing us to slavery. Now, I don't think he ended up really accomplishing all that much. Uh, I mean, you can, you know, you can argue whatever you like, but he certainly didn't stop the onslaught of the horrific technologies that are enslaving us. And uh, when then when you look at Cormac McCarthy, who also unleashed a horrific wave of ultraviolence, but he did it in his fiction. He uh, wrote about it, he didn't perpetrate it. And in fact, uh, the ultraviolence in his masterpiece, Blood Meridian, is a reflection of the real horrific violence involved in the creation of the United States of America, where just lawless massacres on the ever-expanding frontier were the way it happened. And so he told the truth about that. He was a certain kind of a truther, but whether Kaczynski was any better than McCarthy because Kaczynski took direct action in the real world and actually waged a revolutionary struggle uh, on behalf of his ideas, I don't know. 
And so if people are listening to my show rather than blowing up the the bad guys, well, if they start blowing up bad guys, I'm not going to, you know, criticize them. But so often, like Kaczynski killed a bunch of people who obviously weren't bad guys, like the secretary of the That's guy right. he thought was a bad guy. And so if, if by listening to my show, people are not blowing people up, I don't know if that's such a bad thing. There are lots of, I get lots of correspondence from people who say to me, you're naive, Richie, that non-violent civil disobedience is never going to happen because people have become so disconnected. Um, they've become so insular, inward looking, and in some cases narcissistic, that eventually it will come to violence. But I don't know of any civilization that was ever started um, or that was ever founded on the back of violence that ever amounted to anything. I mean, it, w it would be a pretty terrible way to start. Wait a minute, they all have, Richie. What are you talking about? No, well, of course they have. But but I point out, you, you tell me where there is a great, you know, utopian civilization on, on planet Earth. And I will say, you're having me on. I don't know of any country in the world where I could take my missus and our dogs and, and go and not be living under one form of tyranny or another. That's a really good point. And, you know, I guess there may be different degrees of tyranny to a certain extent, but these days it's getting pretty global. You know, that WHO uh, vaccine passport thing that they're pushing where everybody's going to have some kind of digital vaccine yeah. passport. So you'll have to have a smartphone. I don't have any cell phone whatsoever, but I guess I'm, I'm moving to Morocco uh, pretty soon. And uh, one of the reasons is this horrible you know, tyranny that the U.S. has descended into. But. Frankly, I may end up just ending, you know, I'll be trapped in a smaller country there the next time this happens because there's no way I'm going to have any cell phone, much less a vaccine passport on it that I can show the border authorities. So, yeah, the world is closing in on us and there aren't any real uh, safe spaces for sanity and freedom anymore. And so maybe it is time for revolution, but I think we better wait until somehow <laughs> the circumstances emerge that that revolution would actually accomplish something. Yeah. And at this point, I think listening and learning by listening to alternative media and thinking and, and maybe trying harder to think strategically would be a lot better than just rushing out and, and you know, perpetrating violence or trying to start some kind of a war in the real world. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Is humanity possibly doomed? I mean, I, I, I do have, again, a substantial number of listeners who are religious. I know you will have listeners who are religious too. They'll be Christians, predominantly they'll be Christians, Jews, Muslims, I suppose. But um, are we doomed? Like, is this, is, is this around if there is some eternal battle between good and evil? If, there, if we're in a spiritual war, is maybe this around we're meant to lose? Because, you know, any, again, if, if it does come to bloodshed and violence, and even if people prevail over the military industrial complex the great reset architects well that's not a society that i'd be too um keen to be involved in because who's going to take over then you know the biggest and the baddest and the most violent right so so i wonder because i've had this thing in my mind for a number of years is that maybe you know many of us will fight the noble fight we'll fight the information more as best as we can but maybe in overall history maybe this is a round of the spiritual war so we're maybe not meant to win i don't want to be pessimistic but it kind of feels a bit like that to me sometimes yeah i think that all situations where we're called on to do the right thing are part of a, a spiritual battleground that comes with being human you know we're always at 
at, at war really with our own worst impulses. And we have a lot of bad impulses. You know, the Christians may be wrong, in my opinion, and, and the, the, the opinion of the great Muslim interpreters of the last best preserved revelation, that there's this original sin that totally corrupts us and we're totally hopeless and the only hope is to uh, have a vicarious sacrifice somehow atone for us because we're not good enough to fix ourselves in any way, shape, or form. I don't agree with that. I think we're, you know, I, I believe that we're born pure and then we have this series of tests, but they're really serious, rigorous tests. You know, we are given these negative impulses that we have to struggle against and that's the greater jihad is the struggle to be a better person. And, and that's a huge test. And that's the real struggle. That's the main struggle. And indeed, you know, more important than the lesser jihad, which is when, you know, the so struggle in the real world and societies becomes a military struggle. And that's when it gets its most intense. But that's still just the lesser jihad. The greater jihad is the struggle to be a better person against our own worst impulses. And that's the one that everybody is always in all the time. And that's what we really should be focusing on. And that's why you know, when you, we ask ourselves, well, what should I be doing in this situation? Uh, unless there's some constructive purpose to it, then, you know, going out and, and doing you know, violence just because you're so angry, that's that's wrong. That's actually, you know, that that's you're losing in, in the real struggle when you do that. On the other hand, there are circumstances where violence is justified, I believe anyway, when it's clearly self-defense. And when there's an actual lucid rationale for it, and there's a kind of an organized strategy and the possibility when there's a whole, you know, there's just war theory out there and everybody pretty much agrees. You know, the Muslims had just war theory in its most rigorous form, by the way, first, and then the Christians developed it and the post-Christian secularists have pretty much the same theory. It's all, they all agree that the only justified organized violence is defensive and you shouldn't harm non-combatants. And of course, the Muslims took that the furthest uh, and that it, you should only do it when there's a strategy and a rationale, a possibility of winning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it'd be nice if people would actually uh, live up to just war theory. Unfortunately, they never do. It's always the psychopaths who start the wars. Uh, take uh, Ukraine, for example. It's the, the aggressors against Russia who started that war and are on the wrong side of that one. Uh, so in reality, the reason that we have war is that people don't follow just war theory. If they did, there wouldn't be any because there wouldn't be any aggression starting it. This is really interesting and it kind of segues into something I wanted to ask you. I don't think I've ever asked you before if you own a gun, but my many of my listeners who are based in the United States, they get annoyed when, when I say, I don't understand what the obsession is with owning assault rifles. You know, yeah, the first, the, the 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 Second Amendment, I get it. I totally get it. It's there and it's always been in your constitution. People have that right. They want to preserve that right to own a weapon, to defend themselves and to defend their property. But I make the argument all the time that it doesn't matter whether people own M16s or Kalashnikovs, AK-47s or whatever. The the government and its agencies will always have much greater weapons. Um, do you think that this this kind of gun war we see in the States at the moment, where we, we get relentless coverage of shootings, and then we get senators, and they're usually on the left, I believe, and congressmen and women, and they come out and say, we need to tighten our gun controls, we need, we need to tighten our gun controls, and then gun owners go nuts and they say no. How do you see that whole agenda? And you know, is it worthwhile owning a gun? You know, is it a smart thing to do if you're a citizen 
in the United States to own a gun? Is it something that you have done or would do? What are your thoughts on that, Kevin? Well, Richie, I, I, I side, you know, not wholeheartedly, but I still end up siding with uh, pro-Second Amendment forces. And I, I make a practice of not revealing what weapons I may be armed with or not armed yeah. with. I will tell you, I, ha- I do have some formidable ones, but I'm not going to go into describing them. Yeah. Just in case somebody were, were thinking of messing with me, it would make their job too much, that much easier. You know, I lived in a vehicle on the streets of San Francisco. I had an NRA sticker on the door to dissuade not just criminals, but also police from kicking in the door and coming in. And it worked. You know, on, on several occasions, I had very angry police waking me up at four in the morning, but they I, maybe that sticker helped them decide to end up going away rather than dragging me out or, or breaking windows and throwing in tear gas as they actually threatened to do once. Uh, in all cases, they ended up leaving me alone. And you know, I sort of side with the deplorables on this one who say, if this is how they treat us when we're armed, imagine how they're gonna treat us if we're unarmed. Fair enough. Just on to San Francisco, Kevin, was that when you were a much younger man? Were you, st- were you a student at the time? You know, I, I was a kind of a bohemian roustabout at that time. Uh, I, I just mentioned this in the latest thing I posted yesterday in my tribute to Cormac McCarthy. He has this book, Suchery, about when he was a young man who had dropped out of college and was living in a houseboat on the river in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, in making what little living he made by selling catfish to the local markets, hanging around with a bunch of really colorful local ne'er-do-wells. Now, he does, in that book, he doesn't really describe bohemian artistic activities, you know, poetry readings and um, film festival things and, and, you know, San Francisco Art Institute parties, which I, I, I was able to almost survive just living on the free food given out at parties for artists and things like that so but other than that a lot of my life was kind of a san francisco version of what mccarthy describes in his book century and so i was i was living on next to nothing i was able to work pretty uh, you know not not very many hours uh of gainful employment and still managed to survive and I, I did that for quite a while and then i sort of ended up back in school um, originally almost accidentally and then I sort of accidentally <laughs> ended up accumulating two master's degrees. And the next thing you know, it, I was in a PhD program back in Wisconsin. So I'm not quite sure how that happened. And now looking at the uh, professoriate, I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm not there. I mean, those people are mostly just incompetent hacks who have no business being supported by the taxpayers. You know, they're supposed to be dedicated to finding truth and to critiquing power. And almost none of them actually are. It must be um, weird for you. I mean, your your life story is so interesting. I mean, I don't know if you've ever written a book about yourself. I don't know if you've ever written an sure, autobiography. Truth Jihad, my first, uh, my first post-celebrity book when I, I wrote while I was being And that is the story of your life, days. Kevin, is it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's largely autobiographical with a little bit of 9-11 truth content. I must have a copy of that around here somewhere, yeah. So I've just outed myself now as having not read it, but... Um, yeah, I'm oh, also, no. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Not for any other reason. It, it, it ain't Cormac McCarthy, that's for sure. No, but I'm sure it's bloody good, yeah, because your life has been incredible, really. Some of the things you've done and seen. And, of course, we remember post-9-11. Um, I've been talking about climate change earlier on. And, look, I we're free speech absolutists, I think, you and me. Well, nearly, anyway. I mean, I can say I am. Um, I'm pretty sure you are. You might answer that in a moment. But so so therefore, I'm quite happy to debate with people 
who believe that man-made CO2 is contributing to warming of the planet and that warming might lead to, you know, the planet becoming pretty pretty hostile place to be in the future. So I'm open to, to speak with people about that. They're not open to speaking with me or others. But you must lament some of the things as an educator, as a teacher, as a lecturer. It, you, it, it must drive you crazy knowing what they are saying to children in schools, young children, not just in the United States, but it's happening in lockstep here in the UK, in Ireland as well, talking to them about, um, you know, gender theories and critical race theories and, you know, climate change apocalypses. And none of this is being communicated to children in any sort of balanced way where they get to hear different sides of that story. Did you ever think such a thing was possible when you were making your own way through the education system? No, I didn't, Richie. At the time, to the extent that there was this sort of, you know, bizarre, sexually deviant tendency in the academy, it actually uh, didn't seem that bad to me, although there were cases where it seemed to go a little too far. Uh, There was one professor at San Francisco State University who was notorious for shocking his students with bestiality films on the first day of class. No way. Uh, and, And that... That was already happening back in the 90s, and I, I, I kind of thought that was a bit disgusting or certainly carrying things too far. However, that tendency at the time was a sort of bohemian uh, counterculture tendency in which it was taken for granted that the majority culture was you know, being you know, sort of critiqued and held up to, uh, constru- you know, to, to, to thought, creative thought, to, to you know, give us another perspective so we can think about the dominant culture that we're in in a different way. And I always thought that was basically not such a terrible thing, like this carnivalesque aspect of the city of San Francisco and, and its various neighborhoods, including the gay Castro neighborhood, all that stuff back when it was bohemian and countercultural struck me as you know, it's prop. It's it's interesting. You know, God put everything here for a reason, and this is in fact creating a sort of a funhouse mirror reflection of the larger, uh, the straight society, and critiquing it. That's actually okay. And so, when the academy was kind of critiquing the dominant culture through that stuff, I didn't have much of a problem with it. It wasn't my fa- my main cup of tea, but you know, whatever. But now it turned it into a false religion. Everybody has to bow down and kiss the rainbow flag. Everybody has to bow down and kiss the Ukrainian flag. I guess the U.S. American flag is the third and and last form of idolatry here now, <laughs> and it's it's just insane. It's and it's disgusting. It's one of the reasons I'm very happy to be leaving this country. And yet, like we we will know. I mean, a very good friend of mine, Hayden Hewitt, a filmmaker these days and making some brilliant films, in fact. You know, open-minded guy. I suppose you could you could describe him as a liberal, but um, he described things going on at pride parades to me that were just horrific. And yet you'll find most gay and lesbian people you bump into, they they don't understand it. They're pretty shocked by it themselves. They don't know where it's come from. Because you will have known colleagues at university um, in your time working at the University of Madison, Wisconsin, you would have known uh, gay men and women. They, ju- they just don't know where this kind of stuff has come from, do they? There's, there's bewilderment among older gay and lesbian people as to what's happening here. Why are we introducing these concepts to children? Why dream up, let's have drag queen story time for children? Why, why, why bring furries, this weird fetish furries into schools 
to kind of mess around with children. It doesn't have the general support of gay and lesbian people over a certain age. It's it's crazy, really, I think. I, I don't know what's going on with it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure some of the, you know, the older uh, gay people I knew in San Francisco, including my advisor when I was in the master's program in San Francisco, Peter Weltner, who's a pretty accomplished uh, writer and poet, uh, yeah, even at that time, you know, he... I think wasn't so sure about that stuff. And I'm, I would suspect now I haven't really followed his career or anything, but yeah, I would think that he and a lot of other people like him would be pretty horrified by it. Uh, it on the other hand though, within, you know, that there's a, I think a tendency in the gay male culture towards depravity. And it has to do with the fact that human sexuality is balanced between male and female with the male side tending towards sort of this uninhibited tendency to rape and pillage, especially when young and hormone addled, and that requires restraint. And typically the female side provides that restraint. You know, it's the women actually who've created all of these restrictions on sexuality for their own benefit, because if they didn't, they would just be raped and pillaged. There would be no successful reproduction and humanity would disappear. So, uh, you know, in San Francisco, of course, they've done these studies that show that the average gay man has something like about 28,000 sexual partners per year. Well, I'm exaggerating, but only slightly, uh, you know, some ridiculous number. And the but average it's not 28,000 now. I, I can't okay, believe I, I mean, I an academic of, of your reputation. But look, no, you, you yeah, know. No, no, huge, and and the, the women have, have like, you know, 1.2 or 1.1. And the frequency of sex, the women have sex on the average of like three times per year. And the men like 3,000 or something. So it's, it is huge difference. That's because men and women are different. And so even gay men and women are just utterly and completely different in their sexual behavior. Well, you won't be surprised. I mean, we've had this out before anyway, that I disagree with this. I have seen no evidence. And, and like having, social science, <laughs> read, the, read the social science. Let me finish. But, but you know how heavily prejudiced the social science is when, 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 when you look at the, the authors of certain reports and their own, you know, their own belief systems. Uh, I haven't put that very well. But there's a lot of prejudice in reports about these things. You know that, Kevin. People often come at these reports from a, you know, a very definitive ideological position. Now, you know this to be true, right? Christians and, uh, and Muslims in particular. But let me just say this. Having worked with, I'll tell you where my belief is on this, having worked with many gay people over the years, and I have done in the media, I have seen no evidence that gay men are more... Uh, th th that they tend more to depravity than straight men. I've seen no evidence of that at all, number one. And number two, I am absolutely convinced everything I've ever read, going back years, that um, we, we have... Uh, gay homosexuality is the anomaly. It is the naturally occurring anomaly within the system. You will always, going back thousands of years, you will always have people who are attracted to people of the same sex. That's that's my fundamental belief on on this so I'm, I'm, uh, so I'm going to pull you up on that. Okay. But well, if you, I, if you want to come I, back I in on it, you can. I, I think if, you know every, everybody I knew in the gay community, and I knew lots of them. Um, I, I won't list all these, but you know, women, men, everything—they all, they all know that. Everybody in the gay community in San Francisco, when I was there in the '80s and '90s, all know that the gay men, on the average, have huge numbers of partners and vast amounts of sex, and that the women have very, you know, very few partners and hardly any sex at all. That's just taken for granted. Kevin, you don't I need went the there with guys. I, know that. I, they, everybody. Can, can, I, can I just say this? I hate to, to interrupt you, but you, you will know, guys. I, I knew plenty of straight guys. I'm going to use a bad word here that were whore masters. 
I knew plenty of straight guys, Kevin, that I went nightclubbing with and they slept with a different woman most weekends. Plenty. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's probably a male thing more than a gay male thing. Probably. Exactly. But if, if we don't have women setting the rules for us and those rules say that if you have sex outside of heterosexual marriage, a terrible, you know, bad things happen to you, you lose yeah. social standing, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't have those rules, which are made by women, basically, and by God, but but basically put into the human community through women, if you don't have those rules, your society starts to have problems and ultimately collapses. My, my, gay, my, my final word on this before I ask you about Ukraine, uh, my gay friends would say, tough shit, Paddy, they would say to me, if I held your perspective on this, they would say, born gay, was attracted to boys when I was younger. Um, I'm with a partner. We've been together for 15, 20 years. We bother nobody. We make a positive contribution to our community. And if God doesn't like that, well, I don't like God either. There you are. Hmm. Well, uh, I would I would pray for uh, such a person to see the light. <laughs> but Fair if enough. whatever they're doing, as long as they're not spreading um, contagious bad ideas in public, I wouldn't be in favor of any kind of persecution of them. You have the last word on that. Tell me this. Do you have any idea what's going on in Ukraine, Kevin, other than what we get from CNN, Sky News and Fox News? It's been going on for a year and a half now. We hear about a Ukrainian offensive to take back territory that has been claimed by the Russian army. We hear stories in the media today about corpses of Russians, about Putin being a madman willing to kill tens of thousands of his own men to make a point. I don't know what's going on, Kevin. All I know is is that the the fallout or the, the 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 consequences of what is going on in Ukraine is a hugely inflated cost of living for everybody here in the UK and in most of the Western world. Um, energy prices that are almost, you know, unaffordable. What's happening there and why is it happening? And are there any heroes in this Ukraine conflict? Well, I don't know about heroes, Richie, but... What's really going on here is that the United States is recolonizing Europe. I mean, it all it's been colonized since World War II, but Europe is always threatening to escape from American control. And uh, you know, De Gaulle of course had to be put down. They tried to kill him, but they ended up uh, overthrowing him with the color revolution of 1968. It's it's an old story. And now it seems that, you know, the, the US empire is in, in decline and it's facing real serious challenges, primarily from China. And according to Michael Hudson, I think he's probably right, the strategic managers of the US empire have determined that they really can't compete with China. So what they're going to do is milk Europe. And so this whole war is really an American war on Europe to keep Europe down, to ensure the transfer of productive resources from Europe to the U.S. to keep the U.S. stable and prosperous enough so that it can continue to maintain its massive military that spends more than the next 10 countries combined and continue to occupy the world through the 800 military bases that are scattered all over the world. And so you guys in Europe who are hurting, you guys are being gouged uh, by the American military and the people who run it, and that would be the banksters who print the American currency. And that's about the size of it. So we can expect, as far as you see it, so we can expect this to be protracted then. This is going to go on and on and on, is it? 
Yeah, yeah, they, they're going to just keep on bleeding Europe. I think they want it to keep going on. I don't think they even really want any big Ukrainian offensive victory taking back Crimea. Crimea. Well, I mean, good luck with that. Crimea is a Russian vital strategic interest. And you know, I, I, there was an article recently where some British military honcho was saying that British tanks are going to be rolling into Crimea. And I posted a comment on that news story. I think it was the Telegraph or something saying that, Good luck with that. Uh, you know, Crimea is a Russian vital interest. And if British tanks ever seriously threaten Crimea, bye bye London. And, and I think that they all know this. And so it's all a big joke. They're not really trying to take back Crimea. What they're trying to do, the people who are really behind this, it's not the Brits. The Brits are just the, the lapdogs, as usual, of the real imperialists who mainly use the American military to enforce their power. And those people just want this thing to go on and on so they can just keep on bleeding Europe and propping up the American empire. But I don't think there's much of an end game or even much of a middle game here. I don't see how this is going to keep the empire going more than you know a few extra years. This is interesting, Kevin. We we spoke years ago about the part that Victoria Newland played in the coup in Ukraine. Um, she was the Secretary of State for Eurasian Affairs, I think, at the time, and um, she was largely responsible for replacing the uh, Yanukovych, wasn't it, with um, with uh, Yatsenyuk? Correct me if I'm wrong here now, because I might get one or two details wrong because it's been a long bloody week but she was involved heavily in it Yats is our man we all remember this it's being claimed today by Colonel Doug McGregor who, who a lot of our listeners will know that um, Victor that evidence has emerged that Victoria Newland approved the destruction of the Kakovka Dam in Ukraine do you give any credence to that at all it certainly wouldn't surprise me at all if she did now I don't know how uh, Colonel McGregor knows that. I haven't heard of any leaked tapes in which she brags about it, as we have those leaked tapes in which she brags about spending billions to overthrow the legitimate government of Ukraine. But again, it wouldn't surprise me at all. These war crimes um, and, of course, the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline, that was the worst act of economic and ecological terrorism in the history of humanity. And we're pretty sure now that the U.S. did it. It was you know, ordered or at least acquiesced in by Biden. And presumably Newland would be in on that. And the same is probably true of the destruction of this dam, because just like the Nord Stream pipeline, this primarily benefits the uh, Western war on Russia. It's it flooded out the Russian defensive lines and it puts uh, the Crimean water supply in jeopardy and does various other things that tend towards advantaging Ukraine rather than Russia. So it was obviously somebody on the Ukraine side. And just like with Nord Stream, these decisions are not being made at the Zelensky levels. Zelensky is just a, a third-rate comedian and, and coke-snorting piano player uh, who takes orders from the empire. So this would have come from somewhere like Newland and her friends in the National Security Council and the White House. And I think we can basically assume that uh, so, yeah, I think Colonel McGregor is basically right, although I don't know where he got this specific information. Yeah, it's just been doing the rounds of Twitter today. I should challenge the coke-sniffing claims about Zelensky, but I just won't. Um, nothing would surprise me. I, I suppose as far as puppets go, there we, we have them everywhere. Boris Johnson was a puppet. Rishi Sunak is a puppet. Biden... Donald Trump puppets every one of them. But there's never been a more obvious puppet than this idiot Zelensky, has there? 
Uh, no, I mean, he's he's the biggest joke yet. You know, he's he's the second coming of Winston Churchill, who was also a depraved addict and uh, not the great guy we're told about. But Churchill, at least, you know, wasn't stupid. Zelensky is, you know, he's. I don't think his understanding of things is really any further along than, say, somebody like Ronald Reagan. You know, so he's. Uh, I, I guess it calling him a Churchill is a bit of an insult to Churchill, which is a hard thing to do. Churchill was really awful, and you know, he's strategically he was he was third rate. And uh, he was a, pup, a puppet of the and worst a genocidal uh, banking maniac. forces. A genocidal yeah. maniac. Just look at India. We don't. We, we could yeah. all day long. We could talk about that. Just before we go, um, thanks again for coming on today. It's great to have you on, pal. Uh, Kevin Barrett truthjihad.com. I do have a copy of your autobiography, Kevin, and uh, I'm going to take it out and give it a read. Um, we'll, uh, Hello. Yeah, no, no, I will. Yeah, yeah. No, I, there's no earthly reason why why I haven't. There You'll was be a spilling time, my secrets next. I'll be spilling all the secrets. There was a time when I got sent lots and lots and lots of stuff, you know, from um, authors and academics, and that's probably it. But it just rang a bell. But we've had so many conversations over the years anyway about your travails. But uh, can I just say this, and I mean it, because um, I know the the madness of moving country. I've done it twice, believe it or not. Well, actually three times. It's uh, it can be stressful. So um, Kevin, um, Kevin's partner is the lovely Rabia. Rabia, if you're listening, good evening. I hope all is well. Uh, top lady, good luck with it, pal. And try and stay as stress free as you probably as you probably can uh, as you possibly can. And I hope that everything that you uh, want to find in Morocco is there when you do settle there. I know you've travelled there, obviously, to uh, to check it out and to look at properties and stuff, but um, you're one of the good guys and Rabia is one of the good women, so just the absolute best of luck with all of that. Well, thanks so much, Richie. And actually, one of the great things about being in Morocco is it's just a cheap air flight away from where you are. I know you're, you're hosting some kind of a get-together at a pub in August. I'll probably miss that. But maybe the next one after that, I'd love to meet you in person someday. That'd Michelle. be fantastic. And don't be mentioning cheap flights, you climate murderer, you. Don't be murdering the climate. Okay, I'll take a private jet then. <laughs> take like a private the jet, yeah. Hop on Bill Gates, the Bill Gates Express. Kevin, thanks again, pal. Look after yourself. Speak soon. Okay, thanks, Richie. Bye. Kevin Barrett, academic, researcher, author, broadcaster. KevinBarrett.substack.com, one of the good guys. You might remember Kevin many, many, many years ago um, asked his students at the University of Madison, Wisconsin, to uh, not to take all the the material about September the 11th coming from Fox News and CNN, not to take it as fact, but to look into it for themselves. And of course, the media came down on him. Academia came down on him. But he stood up to it and he's been um, looking into things and challenging official narratives ever since. One of the good guys, kevinbarrett.substack.com. And again, the absolute best of luck to him and Rabia in their move to Morocco. It's got to be exciting. It's exciting and it's also very stressful. And you know that we have another move in the future, in our in our lives, because our final settling place, should we live to realise that ambition, the future misses and myself, we, France is our ultimate destination, really. It's tyranny everywhere, as Kevin and myself spoke about earlier on. So um, it, it'll be France. I dread, I dread it to be, I dread it to be honest, you know. I'm not good. I don't know about you, but I'm not good. I do manage, and the last two times, I did manage to be nice and not to get impatient and not to lose my cool. And if she was here, she would testify to that, to the same. But it's a horribly stressful, bloody thing. So these days, or those days, I said to the missus, look, you organise it. 
You sort it out. I'll pay for it. <laughs> you sort it out. Keep the logistics away from me. Tell me where I need to be and when. And that, that will do me. Um, George Michael, maybe. Because I've got the single. The brand new single from Mad Mix. Mick and Martin Noakes, who's produced it. I've got it here. I suppose I could play it now and get the guys on the line. Why not? That's what I'll do. Hang on then, as I as I reposition my cans. Martin Noakes and Mick, Mad Mix, they are known as. Mick is a rapper. He's a comedian. He's a very funny guy. They've had great success with previous releases. We'll talk about those in a minute. Here's the brand new release. It goes um, live tomorrow. It can be purchased tomorrow. It can be downloaded tomorrow. Here is LGBTQ. P. I've said this all wrong. LGBTQP. What's the P for? What's the P for? What does the P in plus stand for? You know what it stands for. I know what it stands for. We know what they're trying to normalise. A load of drag queens weren't working in a club one night and then thinking, you know what? We're not earning enough money doing this. How are we going to earn more money? Oh, I know. Let's go around schools and libraries and read stories to children. Charge them £450 an hour. No, that is not what happened. I couldn't walk up to a school in my underwear and say I want to read to the kids. They'd call the police, they'd have me arrested. LGBTQP, what's the P for? What's the P for? LGBTQP, what's the P for? What's the P for? What's the P for? Mr. N, I need to have a little word with you. I've seen the video footage, I've reviewed the evidence. You're not a police officer at all, are you? You are a butler. I'm a butler. I'm a butler. Why was you carrying the sex workers bag yesterday? We're being helpful. This is the trans agenda that is coming down from on high. Our overlords have put it to our government, our government have put it to our councils, our councils have put it to our libraries and our schools. It's polluting our kids, it's insidious. I've seen pictures of these drag queens reading children with erections. They've got erections. LGBTQP, what's the P for? What's the P for? LGBTQP, what's the P for? This has to come down from on high. This isn't a group of sex workers decided to go into life. That would never happen. So they are being facilitated by powers that are greater than our government to allow this to happen. The pedophile satanic rulers are allowing this to happen. I can't forgive these people for the crimes they've done against the children. It's not saying I want to do. I didn't grow up wanting to spend my life chasing sex workers around life. Is life. We work together, we fight together, we stand together. Shoulder to shoulder we do this. This one is for the children. LGBTQP, what's the P for? What's the P for? LGBTQP, what's the P for? What's the P for? What's the P for? Who was Jimmy Savile's best friend in the world? Who was that bishop, the one who got arrested and put in prison for pedophilia? Who was his best friend in the world? If you haven't realised by now what's been going on, then ain't nothing Mad Mick says is going to wake you up. I spent the whole of last summer at breaking point, arguing with Antifa, arguing with the police on a daily basis. Every single day I've got Antifa in my face telling me that I'm homophobic. I said it's nothing to do with being homophobic. I have no problem with what consenting adults choose to do in the privacy of their own home. This has to do with the children and they are bringing it into children's spaces, children's schools, children's libraries. And that's where I have the problem. We saw this as a man grooming children. People got arrested for calling the drag queen a pedophile. LGBTQP, what's the P for? What's the P for? LGBTQP, what's the P 
stuff lgbtqp wants to p4 for mad mix mick and martin oaks are on the line to us now from down from dan seth from dan seth <laughs> yeah it's the worst accent in the world ever it's the worst cockney accent. mick welcome back pal you're looking well thank you thank you and great it's been track. A hot down here in the south yeah it's bloody hot it's bloody hot up here as well i'm in a built-up area it's very built up here in Salford. There's no escaping this bloody heat. That's outstanding. I should have mentioned, of course, you guys had massive and genuinely massive success with Killer Killer COVID, which um, was the first time I met you, Mick. I've known Martin for, for many years. And then the Monkeypox song was hilarious. Uh, this is funny and the lyrics are very witty and very well written, but um, it's also deadly serious, isn't it, this, this subject? It's absolutely dead, deadly serious. And you know... Um what it is, is I, when I deal with the police, I always use humour. I don't go in with aggression with the police. And that comes across in the song because the beginning part is a real conversation between me and police officer David Wren, who was the actual guy who was carrying the drag queen's luggage. And they drove that drag queen around from library to library and they carried his bags for him, you know, the whole thing. So the, the way that Martin put it into the song it's an actual genuine conversation between me and the policeman. It's brilliant. Let, let me be, look, you know I'll be the devil's advocate, right? But you can say whatever you want on this programme. Um, the world is full of weird and wonderful characters. So what's the real harm of a drag queen sitting down in front of a bunch of kids and saying, right, kids, I'm going to read this story. It could be Adrian Mole. Remember that, Gobby, with the days reading Adrian Mole. could be a Judy Bloom book. It could be Jack and the Beanstalk. Um Drag queens exist and kids will eventually see drag queens. So why are we concerned about that? Absolutely, Richie. Um, what it is, a lot of people have said that to me, you know, people in my family, people all around. It's it's the beginning of something. It, it's the start of something. Oh, it's just a guy reading to, to, um, to children. Well, yeah, it's not just a guy. I mean, it's not Madame Doubtfire, is it? It's not... Um, you know, the the Australian one. Uh, Dame Edna. Dame Edna Everidge. Yeah. It's nothing like that, is it? We're talking about a highly sexualized act from people who earn their living as female impersonators in adult entertainment, in nightclubs. You know, and it's become popular with, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race and stuff like that. I get that. I, I get that they're, they're putting it into the mainstream. But the reality is we're talking about adult entertainment. And if you go further through on our video on um, on YouTube, I think you've seen the video. It turns into something that is nothing less than child abuse. The, the, the man with the plastic breasts is wearing a thong. They're putting money into his into his G-string and he's walking around holding a three-year-old's hand. It's the most disgusting thing that's I've ever pretty seen. Sho that's shocking stuff, that, isn't it? Because you make a good point there. In some instances, it isn't a drag queen who's wearing, I don't know, like the costumes they wore in Little Britain. So when Matt Lucas and David Williams were in drag in Little Britain, they had very long dresses with petticoats and stuff like that. They looked like uh, throwbacks from a... Uh, from an Emily, you know, from an Emily Bronte novel, maybe, or Jane Austen. But but in the video that you've put together, and it's an excellent video, yeah, it's it's something a lot more sinister than just 
well, drag queens are real. It's on the telly. Let's have a drag queen read a story. No, it is hypersexualized. I've got to concede that uh, that point. Are you surprised, Martin? You jump in anytime you want, pal. By the way, Martin Oaks, our our, uh, our great friend, Martin. Many years, Martin set up the uh, conversation with Whitley Streber a few weeks ago, which um, went down really well with our listeners, and we're very grateful for that. Are you amazed, Mick, that parents seem, in many cases, so completely unperturbed by it? It's like, yeah, it's all right. Why are more parents not concerned by what the kids are seeing? This is what became the problem for us last year. When we started the um, the protests at, at the libraries, it was the parents that were the biggest problem because they're taking this two, three-year-old child in, uh, into a situation where they have no idea. Their parents are taking them. They believe they're safe. They believe they're protected. And it's because the parents want to be oh so woke and oh so inclusive, you know. And when their when their child comes home from school now, you was talking about it earlier. They've moved this agenda into the schools, right, where where they can tell children that they can be anything they want to be, you know. Now that in the olden days when me and you was at school, that was any job we wanted to do, not literally anything we want to be. We can be a cat, we can be a furby, we can be a a man, a woman, a, a donkey. You know, and and when kids come home slightly confused because they've heard this at school, these woke parents, they jump on it and they're like, oh, I've got a trans child. My child identifies as it instead of they or whatever. It's the parents that are the problem. And it's been driving us crazy for the whole, you know, the year since this over a year now, since we started. We first um, did the protest last year. You remember? Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been the parents that have always been the biggest problem. These poor children, and now it's coming to the schools. You've obviously seen the bill. They've passed it in schools that children must be subjected. I was reading the bill the other day that, that went through the Scottish Parliament. Children must be subjected to a variation of genders. A variation of gen. What on earth does that mean? There's, If you go for gender reassignment, they only offer you two choices, male to female or female to male. So where are all these 30-odd genders coming from? I have no idea. Yeah, they, they've, they've said they need to be presented with all of these possibilities, which, again, it, it, it's so bizarre, it, it, it's almost kind of, kind of unreal. As for the parents, you make a very good point there. We, I suppose when I was 12 or 13, if I just said at the dinner table, um, Mum, I think I'm a girl. Um, you're not. Shut up and eat your broccoli. And that would have been the end of it, right? And I <laughs> see, I've seen a meme like that. I've, I've actually plagiarised a meme there. But that's exactly what would have happened. Um, but it's 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 not so. I think you're right about the. It's we we need to be seen to be woke. But I think underlying that is a sense of fear. I think some parents are worried that if they say anything, that it might lead to them having a visit from a social worker. And I believe this has happened to parents who've said, um, listen, my child shouldn't be listening to that. And a social worker has turned up to make sure that everything is right at home. So there is that too. That, that must be a terrible place to be in. You know your kids being subjected to terrible propaganda in school that might be harmful, but you think to yourself, well, if I speak out, I might lose my child. Yeah, absolutely. I, and and that is what is so petrifying. The, the, the school are, t- are telling the children things and they're telling them not to tell their parents. If the parents question it, like you just said, the social services are all over it. it it's a no-win situation for a lot of people. And I've been saying for a time now, you know, the only safe way is to take your children out of education and educate them at home. 
but like you said, if if you do that, then they're going to say, all right, why? What is it? Is it our sex education agenda? Is it our trans agenda? What's your problem? And then the social services are involved anyway. So it's a really tricky situation. Not to mention most parents are working, aren't they, Mick? So most parents, both members of the partnership, husband and wife or partners, they're working in any case because the cost of living these days is astronomical. So you've got this issue as well. Martin, you've, I mean, I've never asked you about about your own kids, but Martin, you, you, you have children. They're a bit older now than when, when I worked with you at the People's Voice, but you, you were never short. You were never found wanting when it came to standing up to schools and to teachers and to head teachers. Um, no. But um, do you think it would be as easy now as it was back then? I mean, when you stood up to you know, silliness in schools and draconian rules. I mean, do you think it would be as easy for you today as it was back then to stand up for the kids? You've still got very young kids, right? No, not, not anymore. Not 19, so young. 19 and 21. Yeah, yeah. They were like so, 10, 11, 12 when I knew you. What I, what I think would be difficult now more than, more than the school thing, actually, is trying not to vaccinate them. My children are completely unvaccinated. And um, and I think there's a lot more pressure to do that kind of thing now. It's much harder to not do that, I would say. But yeah, in general, I, I would say the schools, um, you know, if you can afford to homeschool your children, it's, it's the best option, definitely. If you can do it without the social services getting involved, I would say. Let me read you this, Martin. This is from Sarah. I work in a senior school. There is a young girl identifying as a cat. She wears mm. cat ears on her head and meows in class. Why is the education system allowing this to Sarah? Now, I don't know, Sarah. This has come through my app, so I don't even have an email address. It's just a comment. So, Sarah, don't be offended. You kind of have to take this at face value or take it with a pinch of salt. Could it be the case that kids are saying, I'm a cat now, and and the teachers are saying, okay, you're a cat? Because if that's true, that's worrying, right? As, lo- as long as they give them a litter tray. <laughs> right. <laughs> and a can of whiskers. They have to accept anything that the child comes up with. And in, in one way, as far as the children are concerned, it's genius because they can completely mess around with the school. Identify as a donkey one day, a cat another day. Um, identify as a grown adult so I don't need to be in school. You know, they, they can completely play with the teachers. And this stupid, woke society that we live in don't know how to deal with it. So I think, like, you know, it's... It's up to the kids now to take that on board and run with it. Say, all right, if you want to be this stupid, we can be this stupid. If you want to play this game, we'll play this game with you. You know, because I know if this was about when I was a child, I would have rinsed it to heaven. You know, any class I didn't like, yeah, I'd have identified as something else. Now, you know, (laughs) if if it's half price on the train for um, children, when I get on the train, I identify as a child. You prove that I don't, you know, and it's just, the ridiculous world we live in. It can't. It can't degenerate to that level, can it? Where where grown adults can claim to be children trapped in an adult's body. I mean, surely it won't extrapolate out to such utter lunacy. I have seen Richie. I have actually seen grown men identifying as babies. The adult baby thing, but that's been a sexual fetish for years, hasn't it? The adult baby thing. But, but they're but, moving these sexual fetishes into the mainstream. The the woke community are making that like it's acceptable. It's yeah. not acceptable. And it's not acceptable around our children. And so for p- people in general can exploit the stupid wokeness of it 
then they will have to realise how ridiculous it is. Because, like you said, we can identify as anything we want. Like the man who turned up and he, he did it to prove a point, full beard, he turned up for a woman's strongman competition, a powerlifting competition, won the gold medal. He said, I identify as a woman. There was nothing they could do. They had to enter him. He won the gold medal, took the prize off of the woman and then said, oh, I identify as a bloke again now. What could they do? That's the stupid woke world we live in. There seems to be a little bit of a pushback against it in recent months, doesn't there? Not just here, but in Ireland as well. There's there's some genuine pushback against it. Like the the rowing authorities have said, no, you can't compete with the women. We're seeing the swimming, you know, bodies, the the, the governing bodies of some of these sports coming out and saying, no, that's got to be positive then. Maybe they've pushed it too far, Mick. What do you reckon? The The people behind that agenda. That's exactly what I was hoping, that they would push it too far, that people would realise. Like, the world's strongest man is a woman. Uh, the world's strongest woman is a man. The, the fastest swimmer, the female swimmer, is a bloke. People have got to realise the ridiculousness of the world that we're living in. And maybe you've spoken about it before. I've spoken about it quite a lot. Maybe it's all just a distraction whilst they do some you know, dodgy underhand stuff going on that we're not talking about because we're caught up talking about this. But from my perspective, trying to defend the children is the only thing that is important to me at the moment. All the rest of the stuff, they're smart cities and all that. I get it. I'm fighting that as well. I'm fighting all that, the digital currency, all that. But it's the children. But this that- is the most urgent, is it? Let me read you this comment from Jenny. Jenny says, last week a mother in Britain, I did read this story myself in The uh, in the Guardian, funnily enough. I'm not a Guardian reader before you start screaming at me. I read all the papers. But uh, Jenny says, a mother um, in Britain who went to court was refused the right to know what was being taught to her child in sex education lessons. If it's all so worthy and so innocent, asks Jenny, why would that be the case? That's quite extraordinary because when I was in high school, secondary school, if one of my parents went to the school to ask for lesson plans, they would have been given the lesson plans at the speed of light. The parent is in charge or the parent was in charge and the parent had final say. But Jenny's right, I read that story. The school basically told the mum, you can go and sing for the sex education materials. We don't have to show you. And she had to suck it up. That's quite amazing, really, isn't it? That the parent wouldn't have the right to see what's being said to the child or hear. It is. It's crazy. And, you know, I've heard, I don't know how true this is, but I've heard that they're saying that you can't take your child out of a sex education lesson. You know, you you, you can't opt out of a lesson. And I'm like, wow, that is ridiculous. Back in the olden days, you could opt out of RE, you could opt out of this, you could opt out of that. But now they're saying you can't opt out of a lesson. So the only thing that you can do is on whatever day that the sex education lesson is, you keep your child home that day. And then you have the truancy people all over you and the social services Asking again. you for money. Yeah, Mark- it's a no-win situation. And it's I'm, I'm very glad that my three children are all grown up. But my four grandchildren are about to enter this world. And this I, is the reason, Mick, because I asked you this before, this is the reason why this is so... Um, important for you, right? Because people will be saying, why is this uh, guy, this funny guy, this rapper, why is he so interested in this? Well, you got grandkids. Martin, uh, imagine, imagine a scenario. You can't homeschool. Um, you can't hide the children under the staircase. They've got to go, even though you know that what they are hearing and seeing is harmful. Is there any way, don't laugh at this, but is there any way to deprogram 
Is there a possibility for parents who can't stop their kids or can't prevent their kids hearing this? Is there a way to deprogram the kids when they, when they come home to say, listen, son, or listen, daughter, I know you're hearing some mad stuff in school now about genders and all that, but listen, listen to your mum, right? Let me tell you. Is that a possibility for some parents? I, I'm not sure that that is, actually. I think once you've... Um, a quick story here. When, when my children were at school, my eldest child... Uh, we took her out of the sex education lesson because uh, what happened was they said that the school said we could see this DVD if we wanted to, to see what was on it. So I took it home the day before the, uh, the, the lesson and uh, there was real people in there acting their parts about relationships, etc. That was OK. But then there were animation bits in there that were basically pornography. They, if, you put, if you had two humans doing it, what they were doing, it would be pornography. So we pulled her out of that, that lesson, and um, my wife got quite um, heated up about it and phoned up the council and said, look, what do you, what's going on here? This is completely inappropriate. And we discovered, and I don't know if it's the same today, I presume it is, there is no censorship whatsoever in schools. They can show them what, they could actually show them a pornographic movie if they wanted to. That's crazy. Um... The sarcastic window cleaner on the Richie Allen Show website says, I love this, if a child in school is identifying as a cat, ask to see her lunch, and if it isn't cat food, confiscate it. (laughs) 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 I could kill you. It's like chocolate with dogs, isn't it? If uh, Yeah, it could kill you, absolutely. Busy asks, can't we all move to Ireland and identify as a Ukrainian refugee? Because refugees are to be offered modular homes and those who move into the homes will have to pay a utility charge of €40 Euro to cover electricity, internet and waste disposal. That's a bloody good deal, that, isn't it? For a month, 40 quid get a house, electricity, internet and waste. Well, this is an allegation made by Busy. I don't know if this is true or not, but I do know that Ireland has a more, if it's possible, an even more open door um, migrant policy than, than most countries here in Europe. Um, but it is... You know, we laugh at it, but it is, it's a horrible reality to know that children who probably should be instructed in arithmetic, basic arithmetic, and instructed in reading and writing, and if they want to learn a foreign language, we'll do some French, we'll do some German, we'll do some Spanish. That's about the fundamentals, Mick. When I went to primary school in Waterford City in 1979, and even high school, it was the basics. I mean, there was none of this. We, we learned about the birds and the bees in biology lessons when I was 15. Now, of course, we knew. It's ridiculous. We knew anyway. But they gave us all the, you know, the scientific terms, the gametes and all this nonsense, right? And here you go. But just, it's just horrible to think, like, that you might be in that situation trying to protect your child from listening to that stuff. And I have no prejudices against anybody. Trans men, trans women, none. I don't have a single prejudicial bone in my body. Gay, lesbian, men and women, absolutely not. Like, I mean, talk about these things with kids, but when they're you know, old enough to understand it, when they're 14, 15, 16, when they're old enough to understand it, but when they're like five, six, seven years of age, you, you used the term earlier, Mick, it's emotive, but I think it's appropriate. I think it's fair. It is child abuse. I believe so. I believe so. I'll tell you a quick a quick story. Um, I'm the youngest of four children, and I have three older sisters. I grew up in a very effeminate... My dad was out at work 24-7, so I had my mum and my three older sisters. I grew up in that very feminine world, and I used to wear my, my sisters' clothes to school. I had their hand-me-down uniforms. When I, when I became a teenager, we had 
boy George, we had Marilyn, people like that. I spent a lot of years like cross-dressing effectively, but as a fashion statement, you know, like when I went out to a club, I looked more like Marilyn than I did anyone right. else, you know. Now that shows your age there, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Invoking the name <laughs> of Marilyn. Holy Jesus, Mick. We're talking early 80s. We're talking gender bender, boy George, Marilyn. Absolutely. Well done. And we survived it, Richie. We survived it, you know. And all my mates survived it. And we didn't have to go to school and be told we could be or do anything we want. We did, We made those decisions ourselves. You know, I chose what to wear because I thought it looked good, you know. And I've, I've been married, had children. I'm not gay by any stretch of the imagination. But I liked dressing that way. And if a, a, a kid at school gets to 15, 16 and decides they want to dress a certain way, that's their business. Starting ramming it down the throat of toddlers at these drag queen story hours, which are becoming less of a drag queen story hour and more of a burlesque show, is just insidious and wrong, you know? And yes, of course they're going to watch it when they go home and they watch, well, Top of the Pops ain't on anymore. But that's where we were subjected to that kind of stuff. But now being subjected to it in your own classroom as a government policy, you know, it's not like the local council has come down from governmental level that this must go on in schools. We thought it was bad enough in libraries, but now it must go on in schools. It's just the most ridiculous world we're living in now. A, a gay and friend of mine, Mick, sorry to interrupt, a gay friend of mine put it really well, I thought. He said, the thing that's really disturbing about this is, he says, right, is the level of kind of mind and thought control going on there. You're getting a bunch of children and you have no idea how they will feel about sexuality when they get older. You know, most people will grow up and they will not have a, a problem with being in a world where some people are gay, some people are trans. Most kids will grow up, despite what they might hear at home, they won't hold any prejudices. They'll just say live and let live. And my gay friend said, this is the most insidious part of this. They're drumming into children. You must think this way about this. You must think this way. There's only one way to think. This is it. It's all settled. And that's terribly wrong, like, you know, because, like like we said, most kids will grow up. They won't have an issue with how people choose to live or how people are, um, how they are coupled, whether they are gay or straight, in any case. But getting into their minds and telling them. And, of course, that's ultimately not just meant to be about sexuality. It's meant to be about everything, isn't it? It's like the climate change thing. Climate oh, change is absolutely. real. It's killing everybody and will kill everybody. And you can't think any other way about it. That's the problem here. You know what? I'm going to go full conspiracy mode. This is MK Ultra for the masses. They did it. They started it in 2020. We saw it in real time in 2020. This is pure mind control, MK Ultra. And for, for someone to have the power, for people to have the power to say, right, all local councils have got to agree with this. All local schools have got to agree with this. Every school. And if you don't agree with it, you're going to be punished or sanctioned in some way. You know, this is they're taking MK Ultra to a next level. We thought it was bad enough when we hear all the conspiracy stories. But this is real and it's in our schools. And we saw it from 2020 and it's not getting any better. It's not that there's a few of us that can see through the lie. But the people that can't see through the lie, the people, like I said at the beginning of the our, when the parents that are taking their kids to these shows because it's oh so woke and oh so inclusive, 
The mind controllers worked on these people so effectively, come down through the BBC, through the newspapers, through, through every medium, that social media, TikTok, everywhere they look, they're being bombarded. This stuff. They're being bombarded. Martin, there's a brilliant comment from Kasia here. She says it might be a stupid question. Kasia, there are no there is no such thing as a stupid question. This is a good point. But she says there are Catholic schools in the UK. Are there Muslim schools too? As as the Muslim faith, I would imagine, would not tolerate sex education classes to be given to kids. Personally, I would consider this option if it was the case. That's an excellent comment and you've she's shamed me Kasia because yeah is that an option Martin for parents who are concerned about this that they can choose a faith school where the kids may not be hearing this stuff I'm not sure um, that that's out of my area because we, we didn't go to a faith school um I really don't know whether that would work uh it's a good it's a good possibility I suppose but uh but if you're not going to that faith school you, you've got to move to that faith school and it's very difficult to get into schools um, in heavily populated areas, isn't it? They're, they're all yeah. kind of pull up. Yeah, because I, I, will, I, I will have and I have interviewed Christians on the programme who, who represent certain Christian groups and they're obviously very much against this, this particular relationship and sex education curriculum. And yeah, it's something I should have thought of myself. But I think you're right, Martin. I have read that faith schools, particularly Christian faith schools, are very highly sought after. In fact, you've got this weird and wonderful kind of a situation where in some Catholic schools, you'll find some children who, whose parents might be Sikh, whose parents might be Muslim, and they're in the school because the school has got a very high... Um, Ofsted rating, ironically, and presumably when religious studies happens, those kids are excluded from those lessons and then they just go back for maths or they go back for English. So yeah, I think I have read this before. It's difficult. It's almost like um, trying to get into, I don't know, Harvard University, trying to get your kid into a, a Catholic or a Christian school. But it's a good point by by Kasia in, in any case. Yeah, it's it, Mick, I think you made a very good point there about MK ultra it's an assault on so many different fronts and not not to move away from sex education by the way we have mad mix on the program martin and mick the new single is lgbtqp what does the p stand for played it a minute ago and just because it's the guys we'll play out with it later on and it's on sale tomorrow where can people get it before i make my next point that i want you to uh, to come in on where can people get it tomorrow um from tomorrow it's on itunes spotify Amazon, uh, all of them. It, it, it'll be on all of them. I'll put, I'll put a link on Mick's website, which is madmixconspiracies.co.uk. Brilliant. Madmixconspiracies.co.uk. People should book Mark that because Killer Killer COVID did really well, didn't it? Yeah, got, got to number 26, yeah. 26 Brilliant. in the um, national d download chart before they realised what it was. And then they, and then they, they, they realised what it was, they deleted <laughs> it completely. Isn't it funny? Now listen, this is not about me. I'm going to get sh shot down for saying this. But one of my biggest mistakes in recent years was to brag about the iTunes charts for for podcasts. I shouldn't have done it, really. And I didn't do it to brag, because I'm not much of a bragger, really. But it was just nice that, you know, the show 
was in the top 30 and it was beating people like Ian Dale on LBC and stuff like that. Of course, I was delighted with this and I just wanted to say to the listeners, you know, well done, like. But of course, as soon as I started singing about that, all of a sudden it was down at 300. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you bastards. You That's l- what they do. You yeah, know, they're we, bastards, yeah. This is our, um, our eighth song together. Um, and every single one, after the first one, every single one, the censorship has been relentless. It's been meant, well, our last one we did which was Killer COVID Part 2, Killer Killer Vaccine. Um, when we uploaded it to YouTube, the channel got deleted before the song even went live. Yeah. So it never saw the light of day on YouTube. But So we started a new YouTube channel for this song. And so far, we've got a couple of thousand views and it's still there. But usually when we when we re- reach big numbers in the, in the views on YouTube, then they delete the whole channel. So the censorship on on Martin's work is just relentless. They're they're shutting us down at every angle. But we did get to number one on the Amazon download chart. We was at number one for nearly a week. (laughs) So, you know, before they noticed who we were. It's a fantastic achievement, that. And to be fair to both of you, I, 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 I know that censorship that you've experienced is genuine. You're absolutely right to say that. And you managed to keep a really positive outlook and a pretty good attitude about it you kind of laugh at it really rather than get wound up by it because I suppose it's inevitable let me read some quick um, messages coming in Scottish Al says it's gone too far now this bullshit teach children how to read and write and some mathematics a tyrannical government doesn't want an educated free thinking population as they are far harder to control and manipulate and that's a good question is a good point because like we talk about fear and how fear transforms people martin if you want to come in on this the climate stuff they're giving to children that must be i tried to articulate this earlier on in the show and i made a complete balls of it because i can't articulate it but because i can't imagine i mean i remember being scared as a child at something that wasn't really scary because children are so impressionable you know they're telling children that if you don't convince mum and dad to change the error of their ways, we're heading for climate apocalypse. That must be having an amazing effect on children's minds, Martin. And yeah. I suppose we we go ahead, Martin. It's it's crazy. Yeah, this. It's, um, I think you're absolutely right. And there's an awful lot else going on with our, our young children today as well. But I remember when I was at school, two things actually. I was taught in environmental studies that we were going to run out of oil, we were going to run out of gas. Um, I was also, you know, all the different things that were going to happen were terrible. Um, and also I remember being absolutely petrified when I was 15 because I thought there was going to be a nuclear war. Um, wow. yeah, they, they were saying it was in the papers there was going to be atomic weapons going off and all sorts of things. So it's not new, this it's not new. They've been doing it forever. That's a good point that we, yeah, I'm pretty sure we were given a drill in primary school about getting, I mean, the madness of it, getting under the table. Yeah, you know, we did that. Yeah, a nuclear bomb is going to drop right in the middle of Waterford City, and you'll be okay if you pull the your your desk <laughs> over you. Well, like we we laugh now, but yeah, I don't remember, but I must have been terrified of it. You must have been thinking, "Wow, what's what's going to happen?" I mean, they did it after September the eleventh. I don't know if you know this, but after September the eleventh, they sent they sent iodine tablets around to people's homes in Ireland. Would you believe that? Wow, didn't know that. Iodine tablets, yeah, because presumably some crazed Muslim terror cell was going to somehow commandeer a nuclear weapon and rather than bring it to the White House, they were going to drop it in Connemara, you know. <laughs> and this is the crap that went on. And I was party to some of this crap um, back in the day, but uh, yeah, it's uh, 
it, it is funny. Do you think you're, can I ask you this, both of you, do you think you're getting through? Again, not to be negative, I had this conversation with Kevin earlier on, you know, but do you think you are getting through to people? Are you having successes when you're meeting people? I, I had this exact conversation today, Richie. Um, you know, because of the success of Killer COVID, we reached more people than all the videos I make on my Telegram channel every day. You know, and we got we got that message out. But because of the censorship, this message, this song, I believe, we both believe actually, that it's the most important one we've done. And it's pointless us playing it, like even us coming on here, everyone who listens to you knows what we know. Everyone who listens to my channel, all the other radio interviews I'm going to be doing, they know what we know. David Icke put it on his channel. They already know what we know. We need this to get into the mainstream. We need this to hit the the news headlines. You know, even if they say far-right extremist anti-vaxxer is saying don't groom children, you know, on the BBC, I'll take that. I'll take that. We need to get the message out onto the mainstream because everyone in our community, the channels we listen to, already know what we know. That's a great point, Mick. I like this. Let me read you some comments on this. This is really interesting. Diane, Diane won't believe this when I say this. Diane, I will. I have your number. I will be in touch to get you back on the show soon. Diane is a transsexual woman. So Diane had the surgery some years ago. Has been on the show. Really interesting uh, lady is Diane. And she says, Richie, do you remember when sex change was called sex reassignment surgery? Note assignment. Think about that. Now it's gender reassignment surgery, they're calling it. Something changed. You have to ask why. Words matter, as we know, says Diane. This is a psyop. And Craig says, in the 1920s, the liberal excesses of a small minority drove the mainly conservative populations towards the fascist slash communist parties. And it should not be forgotten that the fascistic religions were also waiting in the wings. It strikes me that we are we are at risk of repeating the same through exactly the same manipulations. It is just another Orwellian tactic. It is, and you talked earlier on, make about distraction. And this, this is a paradox, of course, because this stuff is meant to distract us while very, you know, while massive agendas are rolling forward. But... You can't ignore it because they're destroying the minds of children. So you can't just say, right, this is they're distracting us with all this stuff about kids in school while, while behind the shadows they're doing something else. Yes, that might be true, but you can't just ignore what they're doing to children to go and focus on, as you said earlier, make the Great Reset, climate change, cashless society. It's deadly serious. I think, ironically, didn't Jesus prioritise children? If Jesus did live, if Jesus did exist, Jesus put children above all else, didn't he? As far as I understand, and my basic understanding of the Bible. Yeah, go ahead, Mick. No, that's right. That uh, that that is where where my mind is at at the moment. If I can't fight every battle on every front at the same time, I've tried. I can't do it. But this battle for the children, we're calling it, is is the most important one. And um, I just want to say quickly. If there are any proceeds from the song, none of the proceeds that any of our songs have ever made has gone to me and Martin. If there is any proceeds for this song, it's going to a charity that was created by a girl who was at every protest last year um, called Alison. And the charity is called Child Trauma International. And it's for um, to support children, victims of child abuse, satanic ritual child abuse, all manner of child abuse, to be fair. But Alison spent her entire life 
fostering children, looking after um, victims of child abuse. So I'm supporting her charity, both me and Martin. We think it's a great idea to support her charity. She was with us at the libraries last year. You know, she's a very strong, very powerful woman. She she actually got in the library. We wanted to use the video on, on, on our song. She got into the library. She got in front of ADH and it went viral. Um, and then the security assaulted her. They threw her out. But she actually got in there and we got some great footage. Unfortunately, it was too, too grainy to use in the video. But she's a wonderful woman and she works incredibly hard for the victims of satanic ritual abuse and child abuse. So I thought I just want to get that in there. That's where any proceeds are going to. Sounds brilliant. Tell you what we'll do. We'll, we're, we're nearly there, so we'll wrap it up for today so I can read a couple of more comments and then I'll close out the programme with the song, which is LGBTQP. What does the P stand for? It's the brand new single from Mad Mix. You've been listening to Mick and Martin, Martin Oaks. Um, Mick, give us the website again, Mad Mix Conspiracies. .co.uk I'll put that in the podcast notes anyway but uh, you know some of more than some of our listeners will know uh, who you are and what you're doing with the success of the other songs so just um, congratulations on it it's a fantastic cause uh, raising awareness about what's happening in schools what children are being subjected to so um, I can't I can't say well done enough so great stuff guys thank you thank you for having us on it's an honour Martin thanks again buddy thanks Richie and bye for now. Martin Oaks and Mick, Mad Mix, the song, which I'll play in a minute, which I'll finish with, is uh, LGBTQP. What does the P stand for? It's available tomorrow. You'll get it on Spotify. You'll get it on iTunes, Mick said. And thanks to him for that. Wayne says, schools in Scotland have been sent the following brochure from their education authority. On page five, it talks about instilling an anti-racist consciousness in children's minds. They're not even hiding anymore, says Wayne that they see their job as moulding minds. Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's what my gay pal said. Some children will grow up to hold certain ideas and prejudices that we might disagree with. But let them. That's the variety of life, isn't it? Isn't that the spice of life? I've interviewed people on this programme, including this evening. Kevin. Kevin is a Muslim. Kevin has a very definite point of view about homosexuality. But... um. By, by holding that point of view, it hasn't harmed or hurt or, or erased gay and uh, lesbian men and women, has it? No. Most people will grow up, regardless of what they hear in their home, to be a pretty tolerant, pretty decent, naturally inclusive person that doesn't mind, doesn't care about the sexuality of their colleagues or of their friends. They'll just get on with it. It's what we always did, right? But interfering and intervening and claiming that there is a problem before there's any evidence of any problem, well, of course, it's about a much bigger agenda. And a number of people have been on the internet, excuse me, on the website this evening to say, Richie, it's about depopulation and other things. Johnny reckons that the awake used to be a minority. He says, does Johnny, we are now a bigger minority and that's better. It's uh, growing and growing and growing uh, the numbers of people who see through these agendas. Thank you so much for that, Johnny. I really appreciate that. And Kat says, is it pan, as in pansexual? Brilliant song. I love it, says Kat. Thank you, Kat. And Holly came back on to say, on nuclear explosions, it's worth reminding kids, though, that if they see the brightest flash, 
don't run to the window, hit the deck, cover your eyes and ears. They'll probably be fine as long as they don't run to the window to watch and get skewered by broken glass. That's really interesting. I'm pretty sure we had a nuclear weapon or nuclear holocaust drill when I was in primary school. Now, I'm, I'm willing to concede that I might be fantasising about this because I've seen so many documentaries about it, about what happened to kids in the 1950s in the States particularly and in the UK, you know, drills in case of a, of a nuclear war. But I'm absolutely sure that in one of our classes in St. Saviour's National School in Ballybeg in Waterford, I'm pretty sure we did have one of these drills. Quite ridiculous when you think about it, you know. Get under the table. And all the rest of it. Anyway, yeah. Thank you for all your messages today. I really appreciate them. Dean has been in touch. Richie, Mick is a straight-talking realist who is trying to increase awareness uh, for everyone. Both he and Martin are doing something about it. We need genuine people like this to fight for the future generations of children. Hats off to them both, says Dean. Thank you for that lovely message, Dean. I'm sure the guys will appreciate that. Madmixconspiracies.co.uk Lots and lots and lots of messages came in. I need to turn off this bloody... You can probably hear a bit of hissing. I've turned on an old laptop. I squeeze every bit of life out of my laptops before I consign them to the um, local tip I get every bit of life. I'm using a laptop at the moment. The fan is completely gone. It's irreplaceable. It can't be replaced. So it's shutting down intermittently because it's too hot. And I've had it about six years, this laptop. Hayden tells me you normally get about four years out of a laptop of continual or continuous use. You can hear it there hissing in the background, yeah. Anyway, listen, I'm about to take my leave of you. We will chat again, maybe, on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock for Sunday Morning Melodies. Now, if you don't like Sunday Morning Melodies, I'll talk to you on Monday. <laughs> Sunday Morning Melodies isn't everybody's cup of tea, as it were. But it's a really easy listening show, completely relaxing gig. I play a few old tunes. There are some interesting stories attached to some of those tunes. I read out your requests and it's cool and the gang. Right? Sunday morning, 10 o'clock UK time on the usual channels. Listen via my website or the Richie Allen Show app or or listen at FabRadio2 at FabRadioInternational.com You can also listen on the TuneIn app. Yeah, it's been an interesting week. We've had some great guests on the programme and a, and, a, and a top phone in last night so thanks to everybody who phoned in uh, last evening right so we'll close out then with the single I said we would LGBTQP what does the P stand for Mad Mix Martin and Mick have a fantastic weekend and do try to join me on Sunday for Sunday Morning Melodies I hope you do LGBTQP what's the P for what's the P for what does the P plus stand for you know what it stands for, I know what it stands for. We know what they're trying to normalise. A load of drag queens weren't working in the club one night and then thinking, you know what, we're not earning enough money doing this. How are we going to earn more money? Oh, I know, let's go around schools and libraries and read stories to children, charge them £450 an hour. No, guys, no, that is not what happened. I couldn't walk up to a school in my underwear and say I want to read to the kids. They'd call the police, they'd have me arrested. LGBTQP, what's the P for? What's the P for? LGBTQP, what's the P for? What's the P for? What's the P for? Mr. M, 
I need to have a little word with you. I've seen the video footage, I've reviewed the evidence. You're not a police officer at all, are you? You are a butler. I'm a butler. I'm a butler. I'm a butler. Why was you carrying the sex workers bag yesterday? You're being helpful. This is the trans agenda that is coming down from on high. Our overlords have put it to our government, our government have put it to our councils, our councils have put it to our libraries and our schools. It's polluting our kids, it's insidious. I've seen pictures of these drag queens reading children with erections. They've got erections. LGBTQP, what's the P for? What's the P for? LGBTQP, what's the P for? What's the P for? This has to come down from on high. This isn't a group of sex workers decided to go into life. That would never happen. So they are being facilitated by powers that are greater than our government to allow this to happen. The pedophile satanic rulers are allowing this to happen. I can't forgive these people for the crimes they've done against the children. It's not saying I want to do. I didn't grow up wanting to spend my life chasing sex workers around life. Is life, is life. We work together, we fight together, we stand together. Shoulder to shoulder we do this. This one is for the children. LGBTQP, what's the beef for? What's the beef for? LGBTQP, what's the beef for? What's the beef for? What's the beef, 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 beef for? Who was Jimmy Savile's best friend in the world? Who was that bishop, the one who got arrested and put in prison for pedophilia? Who was his best friend in the world? If you haven't realised by now what's been going on, then ain't nothing Mad Mick says is gonna wake you up. I spent the whole of last summer at breaking point, arguing with Antifa, arguing with the police on a daily basis. Every single day I've got Antifa in my face telling me that I'm homophobic. I said it's nothing to do with being homophobic. I have no problem with what consenting adults choose to do in the privacy of their own home. This has to do with the children, and they are bringing it into children's spaces, children's schools, children's libraries, and that's where I have the problem. We saw this as a man grooming children. People got arrested for calling the drag queen a pedophile. LGBTQP, what's the beef for?